Hello, and welcome back to Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks, we take a look at a batch of comics, then watch the related MC movie or TV show, and after we're done, we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? The books or the screen adaptation? My name is Dwayne, and with me again this week, as always, is Dan. Dan, welcome. Hey there, Dwayne. Another exciting day in the MCU, right? Yes, so, yes, yes, yes. So this week, we're going to actually head back to 2013. Uh, going to talk with all you good people out there in podcast land about the first Thor sequel. It's called Thor Dark World, and it was hit or miss with fans when it first came out. It sort of remains that way today. There are, there are conflicting opinions on this. Mm-hmm. It was set in the early part of Phase 2, which ended up uh, completing with the Civil War storyline. And this movie sort of, as I was watching, it seemed to me to point the way towards a lot of the future of the MCU. You could see some of the cosmic components start to be hinted at. You could see a little bit of the importance of the Infinity Stones, which we were going mm-hmm. to build towards over time. Uh, and we could also start to see, maybe on the a little on the negative side, a real reliance on heavy CGI and some of those darker palettes that the MCU has come to be known and in some cases a little bit uh, reviled for. So there we go. All right. Well, we've got a lot to cover in the movie, but we're going to jump to some comic book news. And the first story actually really surprised me. And it apparently Henry Cavill is not returning to the Superman role after all. Uh, We were going to link to a story in Polygon. Uh, The actor Cavill came out a couple weeks ago on Instagram, basically announcing his return to the Superman character. But earlier this week, DC studio boss James Gunn said that that wasn't actually going to happen. And now Henry Cavill has made another announcement on Instagram and he is going to be doing something with a Warhammer 40,000. Uh, Cavill's post on Instagram saying, in part, for 30 years I've dreamt of seeing the Warhammer universe in live action. Now, after 22 years of experience in the industry, I finally feel that I have a skill set and experience to guide the Warhammer cinematic universe into life. Partnering with Natalie Viscuzo at Vertigo has been a blessing beyond words. Without her, we might not have found the perfect home at Amazon. So, Dan, what do you think about this turn of events? Well, I mean, you know, you you talked about you were surprised by the fact that he's not returning as Superman. I think that in actual fact, Henry Cavill is very surprised by the fact he's not coming back as Superman. And it seems to have been a decision that was made relatively suddenly and is a real kind of reverse from what they'd heard recently. In related news it appears this also ticked off uh the rock because some yes. there's some speculation so that evidently that he went and un, unlinked from some of the accounts at dc that he'd been associated with and stuff like that after this so because the rock one of the big things he wanted to do was get that henry cavill versus him superman versus black adam fight so i don't know how i feel about this the the simple fact is that 
Cavill is a perfect Superman physically, but he will be forever linked with a version of the the DC cinematic universe with a version of Superman that seems to have been very popular with a certain group of fans, but was not really something that resonated with the larger population that I think Warner Brothers and, and the DC folks want to get to. So it makes some sense. I am kind of still sad to see him go, though, because he had that passion for the character. Yeah. And he is one of us. He is a geek, you know? Yeah. The worrisome, weird thing is, you know, when he talks about Warhammer, he talks about the Warhammer universe the way that The Rock talked about Black Adam just last year, right? Yeah. There is something about it that it's cool to have somebody really love something and want to bring it to the screen, but you know, being able to actually make that vision work and then get everybody else to celebrate if you go too nerdy may be difficult. It's the same problem, you know, that left him uh, getting rid of the Geralt character is that things deviated too far from where he wanted it to be from the original canon and he yeah. kind of had problems. It is It is weird because... Maintaining the adaptation purity into another format can really be tough to do. And sometimes yeah. even if you achieve it, maybe you'd have been better off if you hadn't. So yeah. Yeah. we'll see. It's yeah, it's it's tough. I, I I actually at some point I have not actually watched any of the Henry Cavill Superman movies. They I've not heard particularly great things about them. Uh, but at some point, now that I know he is not coming back into the role, I'm kind of curious to go and actually just see those movies and see, because as you point out, there is a very vocal uh, portion of of the fan base that is that it was very excited about him coming back, and and now we're not going to get to do that. And it it also then makes me wonder what the heck is going on at DCU because like, um, you know we. I think we both thought James Gunn was a great hire for the for this position. He understood, you know, what makes those movies, what can make those cinematic universe movies good. And it's like, it feels like, you know, I, I don't know who the, all made the decisions and stuff, but it's, you know, it, it, it seems weird that like something as popular as that suddenly kind of gets shut down uh, in, in rather quick, quick order like that. You know, the problem is that when you look at it, if they if they want to start the universe over again, like start with a new direction and a new tone. Yeah. Even though, you know, he still doesn't exactly look that terribly old, but Cavill is a, is approaching the age now where bringing him in as as young Superman for a new trilogy or something <laughs> like that is going to be yeah. difficult, right? I guess so. He's not yes. He's not going to play the role of the 18-year-old kid who, you know, has to worry about whether he can play on the football team because he'll be discovered as being, you know, this is, it, it's a tough, it's a tough situation when you want to reboot and start with probably the characters younger so they can grow into the roles. Yeah. And probably, to be quite frank, I think the best thing you can say about, especially Gunn in this, is that if anybody who didn't have his sort of credentials and his sort of love by the fan base 
had done this, you would have had howls. And instead, there's just whimpers, right? Yeah. It's a lot of people who are unhappy, but there's a lot of folks who are kind of going, well, we're going to give them a try. And and that's probably the best thing that Warner Brothers could have hoped for, is that there isn't just an out-and-out riot over this uh, from those those parts of the fan base. Folks like me, I'm actually relatively looking forward to this because I think they need to they need to give it a new go and they just need to do a legion of superheroes DC universe and get rid of all the rest of it and yeah. that's that's all I need so so the other story I wanted to I wanted to jump on is Marvel releases Red Goblin trailer now I'm not familiar with Red Goblin at all and but I watched the tr- there there's actually like a two minute trailer for a new ongoing uh, comic series called called Red Goblin. Um, it that is that is starting next year. Actually, February eighth is when it's going to be released. Artwork looks absolutely amazing, uh, and it's we've got writer Alex Pacnaldo. Naldo and or something like that, I think. Yeah, but yeah, in that area. And the, and then Marvel Stormbreakers artist Jan Bazalda uh, are the team behind this. And this was first announced at New York Comic Con. And it's not Norman Osborn as the Red Goblin. It is his grandson Normie Osborn is the new host for this. And so it's some sort of Carnage symbiont version of uh, of of the goblin yep that sounds so basically the symbiote have you done much with like read the spider-man stuff that's like the symbiote no, not, and stuff like not, this not not much so no. secret wars comes back the, the symbiote kind of was originally almost like a living costume that that peter parker brought back from there but it it essentially becomes this thing that inhabits, and we've had Spawn, and we've had Venom, or Spawn. We've had um, Venom, and we've had Carnage. Spawn's another universe. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Venom and Carnage. Um, and a number of other people who've sort of interfaced with the symbiote as well. This is weird, because the main thing is that that it's now attaching to a kid. Like He's not just his grandson, but he's like a teenage kid yeah he's a teenager it looks like the uh the symbiotes generally encourage people to sort of just do whatever they want so i don't know that having a teenager attached to one of these is a healthy situation for anybody but the other thing that really interested me more is the idea that they're doing these trailers for comic books yeah i i was very impressed by it too i mean there was i had not seen that lot some some really cool music some very interesting you know animated panels almost uh as you're going through this it was it 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 sold me on wanting to to see this comic more than i think anything i've seen in recent days uh or recent months actually since i've started reading comics uh i was like I don't know anything about this character, but this is really interesting based on this. I would love it if Marvel started doing... It doesn't even have... This one was almost two minutes long. You know, even if it was a half minute long and just had a quick hitter about some of the new stories they're bringing out. Yeah. And they like advertised with them on social media. 
or put them on in front of YouTube videos and stuff like this to just get it out there. I think that would be huge for comics. Yeah. That, that I've never seen comics really effectively advertise in any medium other than comics. Yeah. You know, the only time you see comics ads are within the comic pages themselves. So this was really kind of cool. I'd love to see more of it. It It's probably also not that expensive because they're using a lot of the same animatic techniques that they'd use for doing just like a motion comic or something like that. So probably didn't take a ton to make it, but they did a nice job with it. The people who made it um, had some skill. And yeah, like to see it. Absolutely. Yes, so we will have a link to an article in the show notes. Definitely click on that, go there, and you'll see the embedded YouTube video. Or you could just go to YouTube and look for the Marvel Red Goblin trailer, and you'll probably find it. So um, there you go. Check that out, Dan. Do you? Ha- it looks like you've got a recommendation for this week. So went down to my, my local comic book store on Wednesday and picked up my books, and one of them was "Too Dead to Die." is the title of it, and subtitled A Simon Cross Thriller. And the conceit of this is that this is a story about an old sort of semi-retired secret agent who's kind of a cross between Nick Fury and a guy some listeners may remember called American Flag, who was basically part cop, part just Lothario. He basically slept with every woman in the comic book and caused all sorts of trouble and he was mostly just there to try and take the corporation's money and and whatever but really really well done written by mark guggenheim who had a great run on the flash back in the 90s drawn by howard chaikin who was the artist and writer on american flag and it's just a fantastic sort of throwback comic to the style of comics that i enjoyed in the late 80s and so I I loved the art, loved the story. The colorist on it did a spectacular job of really enhancing Chicken's art. And if if you're a fan of that old 1980s comic book stuff, uh, or if you're a fan of Howard Chicken, absolutely go down and find this one. It's actually an original graphic novel, so they were not published first as comic books, but they are in chapters so that it basically is like you're getting six issues of a uh, of a comic series but it's one original graphic novel brand new stuff and there's even some hilarious things in there like at the beginning there's an introduction where I actually had to start thinking about whether my memory of comics from the 80s was correct because they actually have an entire pretend publication history of this Simon Cross character from the 80s that they went through as well sure great stuff check okay. it out Thank you for the recommendation. Let's dive in and let's talk about Thor The Dark World. This is your spoiler warning as usual. Yes, this is a movie that came out in 2013. So you do have, uh, you've had plenty of a chance to to have seen it before now. However, we're going to be talking a lot about the plot, different things that happened during the movie, some behind the scenes things as well. Things we like, things we didn't like, all that. If you do not want to uh, be spoiled because you haven't seen the movie like I hadn't before this week, or you want to see it again before listening to our discussion, please stop right now and come back to us when you are ready for that discussion. 
Spoiler warning accomplished. Yes. Let me let me jump in and give you the film facts for this movie, Thor: The Dark World. Uh, the tagline for the movie is "There was darkness." It was released November eighth, twenty thirteen, with a runtime of one hundred and twelve minutes. The box office for this worldwide was six hundred and forty four million dollars, just under six forty five actually, and domestically. Two just over two hundred and six million dollars, which, if you remember from Thor, the original, the first Thor movie, it actually did about two hundred million dollars more than the original Thor movie. However, if you compare it to Iron Man three that came out earlier in twenty thirteen, it made about half of what Iron Man three did. So, just some context for some of those numbers. The movie had a budget of $170 million. It has an IMDb rating of 6.8 out of 10. Uh, it stars Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston, Christopher Eccleston, Rene Russo, and Anthony Hopkins. It was directed by Alan Taylor. There's some, some interesting things beyond that we'll talk about after a little bit. Screenplay is credited to Christopher Yost, Christopher Mackis, Stephen McFeely, and it is based on a story by Don Payne with rewrites by Robert Rodat. So that is your film facts for Thor The Dark World. Dan, you have a recap for us. Yeah. You always you always love to see five or more names on a screenplay listing because you know you're getting a great coherent story. When, and, when there's and that's, half a dozen people and, writing it. And that's so. not even all of them. Uh, there is there is reports yeah. that actually Joss Whedon came in and rewrote several scenes on top of this. And and so apparently there were so many, so many writers involved in this movie that they weren't even sure who was all going to get uh, writing credits on the film. Good God. All right. So. All right, so my, my two-minute recap is a shambles because it takes almost four. And that's not because so much great stuff happens. It's because just so much relatively all the same stuff happens that <laughs> it just sort of There's, ended up going this way. All of it has about the same level of importance. It's, so Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really about right. So anyway, let's go ahead and take a look at this. So. Odin's monologue at the start of the movie begins things. He tells us about the Dark Elves and the Aether, and how together they're a danger to all of creation. We then see Loki sentenced and jailed in Asgard, Thor pining for Jane as he and the Warriors Three clean up Loki's mess around the Nine Realms from back in the Avengers movie, and Jane pining for Thor while she and her intern, and her intern's intern, continue to do science. Jane and her crew find an anomaly causing gravity to malfunction and objects to spontaneously disappear and reappear in an old abandoned factory. She ends up getting pulled into another world there, is infected with the ether that had thought to have been lost and had been hidden away by Odin's father eons ago, and then returns to Earth hours later just in time for Thor to come find her. He takes her to Asgard after she accidentally explodes at a policeman quite literally an explosion comes out of her when he tries to arrest her, and the Asgardian scientists are then puzzled by what Jane is infected with. Heimdall welcomes her when they come. Odin does not, though. He finds her in the infirmatory, calls her a goat, tries to have her thrown out of the realm. 
at which time she explodes again. Odin then recognizes the Aether, goes back into a secret chamber and monologues a bit about the early uh, days of creation, and confidently tells Thor that the Dark Elves are all dead and the danger is over. They're not, though, and in fact one of them soon sneaks into Asgard and starts a prison riot. Jane and Frigga make a plan, just as the Dark Elf ship reaches Asgard. Heimdall and the Asgardian forces take on the Dark Elves. But somehow, Malekith sneaks through, finds Frigga, kills her, after trying to get her to reveal the location of the Aether. Thor gets there just a bit too late, attacks Malekith, but he just gets away, returns to his ship, and they fly away uh, to sort of regroup. At that point, we have Freya's funeral, after which Thor sneaks Jane out of Asgard with Loki's help. At the same time, Darcy and Dr. Selvig are working out the science to try and understand the coming convergence as Thor, Loki, and Jane confront Malekith. Thor's plan to get the Aether out of Jane appears to go badly awry as Loki betrays them, Thor's hand is cut off, and Malekith gets the Aether. Ah, but surprise, it was all a ruse. Sadly, though, it doesn't work, and Malekith does, in fact, get away with the Aether. Loki dies, or he seems to, and Thor and Jane are stranded in Svartalfheim, only to eventually be transported back to Eeth, or to Earth via the car keys tunnel from earlier in the movie, after Jane gets a phone call. In the final act, Malekith attacks London to use the Convergence in his plan of annihilating everything, and Thor and the gang prepare to stop him with large metal toothpicks and sketchy science. Thor eventually takes Malekith apart with the science sticks, the day is saved, and Thor returns to Asgard, and is offered the throne by his father. Thor turns it down, though. Little does he know, it's probably a good thing, because Loki has already usurped the throne, disguised as Odin. In the after scenes, we see the Asgardians bring the Aether, also now beginning to be known as an Infinity Stone, to the Collector, and Thor and Jane get together on the roof and have a kiss after everything has been sorted out and Thor returns down to Earth. That is, yeah, that, that is a, a pretty good recap of everything that happened. Um, <laughs> science, science sticks, I, li I like that. And by the way, Odin doesn't call her a goat. He just likens her to a goat. I, I not that it's that is a semantic that, difference at best there i'm afraid yeah yes, yes. So, yes so for 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 what that's worth um let's start out let's talk about malekith in this film and i have to tell you that i had some pretty high hopes based on the comic book versions of malekith yep. that we read last week uh but this mcu version of malekith was generic it he was bland you, you could definitely tell that he was powerful, but the thing that struck me as I'm watching this is he doesn't seem very smart or ruthless like he did in the comics. And I never got a sense that he was all that powerful as a sorcerer, which is definitely something that was a big part of, I think, the character in the comics that we've read to this point. And, and like the only thing that I kept thinking was, could this be because they wanted it to be a PG-13 rating? Like, like 
I I don't know, but I think I think I think anyone that 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 watches the movie I think doesn't get a true sense of how cool the Malaketh character is just by the MCU version. Yeah, I think that one of the problems with him is that at the very beginning we learn that the dark elves were there before there was anything and that they therefore somehow have this yearning to go back to a time before there was anything. But when you look at Malaketh, he does not, he doesn't have that sort of gravitas that you would think a nearly eternal being that's been around since before the dawn of time would have, right? You know, you look at Hela as she's played by Blanchett in a couple of movies, or you look at the way that Odin is portrayed. And there is, you can kind of believe Odin's been around and has seen some things, you know? It just seems like Malekith is, yeah, he's he's sort of generically evil. But other than the fact that he wants to do this thing, you never really get a reason why he wants to do this thing. He doesn't have any passions at yeah. all. You know? Yeah. I mean, you think about like Gore the God Butcher from the Thor Love and Thunder. I, he he felt infinitely more powerful and complex, and that and and they're just Malekith felt really shallow in this. There was just I'm the bad guy because I'm the bad guy. That's pretty much it, right? No, nope. there wasn't there wasn't a lot to it, which which is actually weird because. I was reading about Christopher Eccleston talking about this role and talking about Malekith and, and he seems to get it right. Uh, he says uh, in talking about Malekith, he says, what I thought about a great deal was revenge. One quote is when you seek revenge, be sure to dig two graves. Uh, he talks about a film that he did uh, called Revengers tragedy where he played a guy um and who is just distilled on revenge and he says so in a way that was what i think of how revenge can make you absolutely mono my <laughs> i can't say the word mono monomaniacal monomaniacal though you're still trying to be to make it recognizably motive led it's just the personification of movie evil so like i feel like at at a level I feel like he gets it, right? But at the same time, mm-hmm. what we ended up getting in the film didn't really feel like that. No, you didn't really get you didn't really get a him talking to anybody, even his lieutenants about really the plan or what was going to happen afterwards or whatever. It was just all very process oriented here's what we're going to do here's how we're going to create the cursed and we're going to send them after things here's here's what we're going to do over and over again but as far as an actual real why we never really got it and and i get that the why was he didn't believe that the world should ever have been made and now he's correcting that mistake but you know if he's taking out everybody he in in his environment to do that, um, perhaps making some mistakes. In any case, I, I think that yeah, he he was not. He also didn't really interact with 
the other characters that much. You know, his his time with Frigga was really the main actual interaction he had with the other characters where they were talking or character was developed instead of just throwing throwing stuff at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh you know one thing one thing I will say that I actually did like about the film switching gears just a little bit is Thor's plan to take down Malekith. And for for some reason so I'm listening to him because he he like tells everybody what his plan is. Like it even kind of goes to Odin and says, listen, my plan is I'm going to take Jane. We're going to go to Svartalheim and I'm going to confront Malekith and he's going to have some way to like get the ether out of her. And then when it's out of her and before he gets it, I'm going to take down both the ether and Malekith and it's not going to be a problem. I'm going to I'm going to stop them there before they come here kind of thing cuz Odin's like, well, he's going to come back. He's going to come fight us and he's like, I don't want to fight him here. I want to fight him over there. And it it's half baked. It it's brazen yep. as all hell. And and but it's and it's simplistic which felt exactly like most of the plans that it feels like Thor has in some of the comic books that we've read. And then he goes when Odin obviously says no this is that's definitely not something you should do uh you know i've been i've this is not a great plan he of course then defy openly defy defies him gets gets the warriors three and lady sif and heimdall on his side so that he's allowed to do it and and enlisting loki's help let's let's add another wild card to the to the already half-baked plan and like I didn't, it was weird. It I didn't get that it was a ruse at first, and then he like Loki cuts off his hand. And I'm like, oh god, this is this is going at the worst possible way. And then it's like, oh hey, no, this was this was a trick and everything. And it and he like blows up the ether, and you're like, okay, well maybe this did work. And then all of a sudden it just sort of like all the little like particles of ether then just kind of go towards Malekith and he gets it anyway. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, this was this was a stupid plan. This should not have been the plan. Well, and the plan worked exactly the way he wanted. Literally, he just didn't understand what he was facing. Right. You know? Yes. I yes, mean, in exactly. the end, somehow he actually made his half-baked plan come off exactly the way it was supposed to. It just didn't do him any good. And the right. And the reason was, of course... The idea was that the the ether is killing Jane by being inside her. Nobody knows how to get it out of her. So he had two things he needed to accomplish. Getting it out of her uh-huh. and not letting Malekith get it. And this was his way of doing it. Yes. And yeah. Great plan if it had worked. Yes. But there you I, go. I, and I, I, I will say I loved the part that Loki cut off his hand because in front of Malekith, no less, because Malekith, as we've seen in the Jason Aaron comics that we read last week, Malekith cuts off Thor's arm. And, and so he's got, you know, one kind of metalish sort of arm, uh, throughout, throughout a lot of, a lot of that comic book run, uh, because of it. And so it felt like a bit of an homage, I guess, to the, to the, to the actual comics that, uh, you know, Thor wasn't actually going to lose lose a hand or an arm, but they could make it look like it as part of a 
part 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 of the the plan to take down Malakath. Yep. So it was I do think that was more one of the better parts of it. And part of that also is that the time leading up to that and then Loki's death scene and stuff, that the scenes with Thor and Loki in all of the Thor movies yeah. are some of the best scenes. Because those yeah. two guys just do a great job of playing, you know, off each other. And there's just all these complex, weird emotions going through. And and those are always enjoyable. I would, I would love just a buddy movie where <laughs> Thor and Loki just get stuck together for two hours uh-huh. and we get to watch them. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, so you have a you know you have a note here talking about how how the actors did their part to try and make this movie work. Uh, do you have some besides Thor and Loki? Th- those were those two those two were great. Uh, Hiddleston again, uh, I I I think is absolutely amazing, and and apparently he wasn't originally going to be a part of this movie at all, and there was going to be a much bigger focus on Malekith and the Dark Elves. But following the po- his popularity in the Avengers movie, uh, the script was rewritten to give him a bigger role, and it worked. Yep. It was it, he was literally again one of the best parts, and one of the few kind of jokes I think uh, like I didn't feel like this movie was particularly funny from a Marvel standpoint. But one of the jokes that I think actually did work was how every single one. Of the Warriors Three and Lady Sif and and like even Heimdall are like, if you betray Thor, I'm going to kill you. And they just one by one as he's going through the escape to get Loki and Jane out of Asgard. Every single one of them helps them escape, and they're all like, "You, if you turn on Thor, we will kill you." To the point where he even says, "There's going to be a apparently there's going to be a lie." Yeah, he's got a reputation. So that that was, I mean, really well done. But I, the other thing that is interesting, though, is considering the entire movie ended up having some interesting plot holes and the like, you do wonder just how much shoehorning a great performance from Hiddleston into the movie ended up messing up maybe what we would have gotten as far as a better film if they'd have kept whatever was the first version of the script or whatever before they started you know because taking a taking a character who's that big a part of the movie who wasn't there when it started there had to have been some significant things <laughs> yeah taken out and changed sure but, but so yeah he was great i think that this is one of my favorite performances by hemsworth actually in terms of this is the most jason aaron-esque in some ways version of Thor that I think we get during all four movies because he is he's a lot more um sort of immature in the first one and of course by the third and the fourth one you are getting to the point where they've they've started concentrating a lot more and having some sort of fun elements or or the like this is sort of the Thor at his power yeah. movie where he doesn't really do anything particularly dumb. He doesn't do anything particularly rash. He actually essentially does enough that his dad's like, yeah, you know, you could be king. So this is probably the most responsible and superheroic Thor that we get. And right. I think that 
I think that Hemsworth really plays it well because he's still got that sort of humanity. He's got a little bit of humor here and there. Mm-hmm. But he does a nice job of kind of balancing it all. Odin and Frigga, two spectacular actors. I mean, Anthony Hopkins and Rene Russo, both just ate scenery and, and lines every time they uh-huh. were in it. So they did everything they could. Lady Sif, um, Jamie yeah, Alexander. Jamie Alexander, yeah. I've always loved that character. I personally am on board with Odin that <laughs> Thor is a complete dumbass for not seeing what's in front of him and wandering around after the human girl. Um, just marry Sif and be done with it, man. But, you know, when she did have it, she had very little time in this movie, but she did a good job with uh, with the time she had. I think that everybody really, you know, it, the actors Indri- did the best with what they had. Indris Alba had a much bigger performance sure. in, in this film than he did in the first one, and... You got to see him a little bit more, and I—he was great too. There was, I, yeah, I—I I just really liked, it. like the returning cast. Everybody that came back was was fantastic. Heimdall doesn't get a lot of range in the first couple of movies, though. It's hard to really say that you know the because he's basically very stoic. That's his right. job, is to stand there and, and look off into the distance. I'm, but. I'm just talking about the fact that he basically runs <laughs> up the Rainbow Bridge yep. and then does this, yep. like, sword into Character the side gets to do some of cool a, stuff. In, into the side of the, the spaceship, which actually leads me into the next point. And it is, was this a Marvel movie or was this a Star Wars movie? Uh... Was it 300? Was it Game of Thrones? Eyes wide shut? I can't actually decide because at several times in the movie, I felt like I was watching another franchise. And it's interesting, Game of Thrones being one of those. Uh, Aaron Taylor, yeah, uh, Alan Taylor, excuse me, uh, it directed some Game of Thrones episodes. So that might be where that kind of came from. But like the attack on Asgard with all those flying ships, it felt like I was watching a Star Wars movie and not one hundred percent, and not uh, and not a a Marvel movie. You know, Svartalheim, that dark world, the where the dark elves were from. It did feel like I was looking at the box from from uh, the movie Three Hundred or something, and it just I don't know. It just I was just like it's crazy to me that it just didn't feel like a Marvel movie throughout this. There were a lot of tonal shifts. And and even if you think about it, you know, when the very first scene is very reminiscent to the start of Lord of the Rings movies, where you've got Odin doing the voiceover where he talks about the olden days and, you know, essentially Mm -hmm. the the losing of the first ring and stuff like that. And you just substitute the aether for the ring and and away you go. So, yeah, I, I 100% agreed, and it's weird because I was watching the movie with the family last night, and we even mentioned that, that it it at times felt like a Star Wars movie or felt like something different. And, and those wide tonal shifts could be one of the problems they had. This movie doesn't know what it is. Yeah, you know? they, I, I, I read one of, one of the comments was the, the people on set nicknamed the Dark Elves. Uh, in in the masks and all that, they nicknamed them stormtroopers, <laughs> and it's like I totally see it. I totally see it. It's it's actually yep. kind of crazy. 
but like and then like the other thing is you know i i talked about like the jokes and and it's it's weird i've been reading reviews about this movie uh to kind of get ready for this discussion and it seemed like everybody like thought there was a good amount of jokes in this movie and i just i don't see it i did not really think outside of a, a couple a couple of things and, and and like the loki thing i didn't really think there was much humor in this movie this is something i would actually i, I think we would disagree a bit on i think mm. that whether they hit for you or not there was a lot of like but it wasn't it wasn't ha ha humor it was very much droll you know because mm. you had like I, the uh when they're getting ready to go into the thing and and um you know the the scientists like oh, I'll I'll get my pants or even when you know they're standing there and and Jane and Thor start wandering away and what's her name the uh, the girl is left standing and then it starts raining on her she's like typical yeah. yeah just weird little joke things like that and then even even when uh, Odin talks Thor's talking to him about something and he's like do you think I'm I'm bread that I need to be so heavily buttered or oh, whatever. Man. It just it's I those think, sorts of jokes. I and normally that humor actually I like that kind of humor. Uh, but I don't know for for whatever reason I got done watching and I was just like I feel like the jokes just I did not I I did not find it funny. And and it was like it was it was weird to me because I feel like I feel like there's been movie movies so far uh, and then ones that we're going to see here and talk about in the future that like I remember two or three like laugh out loud funny sort of moments in a lot of them and there just wasn't any of that and and so it was just it was it was weird to me um, that, that I would I agree with that 100% there were not laugh out loud moments that was there was not really any humor and and I think I actually appreciated that. I in fact came away with it almost the other way though, where it seemed to me that they were focusing too much on having the humor breaks and sort of the romance and everything in a movie that's about this maniacal dark elf who's trying to bring about the end of everything. And that this really is a very dark story. You know, you've yeah. got Thor's mom dies. Yeah. His brother dies. There's an invasion of his home. All this stuff's going on. And yet, it's still kind of got a lot of, you know, jokey, ha-ha kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. the jokes are understated. Even when, you know, the the ones like with the, you know, if you betray him, I'll kill you. Or when Thor and Loki are talking. it It's almost like there's a lot of gallows-type humor. It's very... Mm, yeah. It's very understated. And I actually I actually did like that, but I I thought there was maybe too much of it. Sure. Okay. So. Okay. So you you talked about the plot and and the pacing of this. You talked about there never being any stakes. What I, yeah. I think I totally agree with you on that. It 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 felt like for this for this to potentially be uh, you know, if Malekith gets what he is in tr- is trying to do, if he if he is able to use the ether and do what he's trying to do at the convergence, he is going to destroy all the realms. 
Everything. All, yeah. Everything. Yeah, everything will be gone. Yet at some, it, it doesn't really feel like there's that much at stake throughout this. Well, and nobody else from Asgard or any of the other realms even bother to show up to help. They're yeah. like, ah, Thor's got two interns. What else does he need? <laughs> you know, we don't we don't need yeah. to send Valkyries or the, the the hosts of Asgard to stop these guys. He's got he's got pointy sticks, two of them, maybe three. He'll be fine. So it, it just didn't seem, you know, what what is everybody in Asgard doing while he is? It, it just so much of it didn't make sense to me, and the pacing was so weird in that you would have these these times where everything was moving frenetically, and then you'd have these times where people around for five minutes just having cereal. And not really worrying about it, you know? And I just think this is a, a movie that has a massive identity problem. And it probably comes from the fact that you've got too many writers. They're trying to do things like, we are ready to go, but now everybody loved Loki, so let's make sure it's about Loki. It's about, evidently, there's some, some stuff that you found that talks about how... Um, the director wasn't What's... particularly happy with everything that got done in post. Yeah. And what, so, what, yeah. Let's, let's jump in and let's talk about this. So the be kind of the behind the thing, behind the scenes thing, not everything was going great behind the scenes. So first off, the biggest thing that I, I read was, is Alan Taylor was not happy with how this movie turned out. Apparently, he received full creative freedom while the movie was being shot, so during principal photography, but stated that he was locked out of the editing suite, and the studio turned it into a completely different movie during post-production, uh, a situation that he never hopes to repeat and does not wish on anybody else as a director. And in fact, I, I read that he was actually contemplating getting out of directing because because of that experience um i don't know how, how you know how how hmm. much he's been doing but he 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 had he, he definitely had some some um some ill will there and we had uh even christopher eggleston who who was playing malekith admitted that he didn't really like uh the role that he played that this was uh he felt like he was lied to. He he actually was not the original person that they had kind of tapped to be Malekith. It was actually Mads Mackelson who ended up having to back out due due to commitments uh, for his role on the show Hannibal. And so Eccleston mm -hmm. only got into the role, signed on for the role about a month before principal photography started, and apparently. The makeup that he had to put on was taking seven to eight hours initially mm -hmm. to, to get into costume and get ready for, for shooting uh, and, and only got down to about six to six and a half hours uh, later during filming. So he, he said that, uh, you know, he did not realize there was going to be such an extreme, extreme level of makeup required before before shooting. And uh that definitely was not something he was was all too happy about. But, you know, we, we've got actors, we've got directors, uh, director Patty Jenkins and composer Carter Burwell 
both left the project at various stages due to creative differences. Jenkins, uh, you might remember, went on and uh, directed a very, very well-received Wonder Woman movie in 2017. Um, left and and that leaving uh, Jenkins leaving nearly led to Natalie Portman dropping out of the project because she was so on board with 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 Patty Jenkins doing the directing. So it was. It was kind of crazy, uh, all the kind of, uh, all, all the behind the scenes thing. Andrews Alba said he, there was too many reshoots and it was exhausting and time consuming. Referred to working on the movie as torture. So it was all around it. It feels like all over the place. You had the writers, all the rewrites and different things going on. All the people involved with the story. There was just... There was just a lot of chaos behind the scenes. And I, and I think what ends up happening is the, the what ends up getting presented is, is a subpar product as a result. Yeah, this this is one of those unfortunate situations where they decided they wanted to make a sequel, but they didn't really they didn't really have a story to tell. So they just sort of grabbed at the next storyline that was after the one that they'd, you know, been working on previously. Grab, go back to Simonson, grab another character and recycle him and see what happens. Because this would have been based off of early information from the Simonson Malekith, not the rebooted one probably that we looked at so much because they would have been already. Right. You know, maybe they'd have had that if they'd have, if they'd have really picked up on the, the Jason Aaron stuff fast. But um, in any case... I, I do think it was a disappointing one. I, I didn't mind it. But, you know, when... I think you had something even when he's, you know, I talking about Hemsworth just basically saying that he didn't think that they'd shown anybody anything unexpected or different. He didn't think they'd really made anything new or grown the character. And that's right. probably true. That it was... It was a phoned-in effort to a certain extent. And, and I think you can see that one of the things that we haven't talked about, uh, I think you can see that in some of the graphics as well. That yeah. I think there are spectacular graphical elements in this. Yeah. I love Asgard. I love the look of Asgard. I, I hate the fact that they destroyed Asgard because it's just absolutely gorgeous every time we see it. I really like the boats. Uh, yeah. Whether they are Star Wars or not, they're cool as hell. I just yes. absolutely love the sort of the longboats that they use, the flying longboats. Yeah, the the Nor the Nor there's definitely felt like there was a lot more Norse um, and Viking elements uh, to Asgard in the second movie than the than we saw in the first movie, and I'm all for it. I I actually that was. If there was one other thing I really liked about the film, I liked the fact that it felt a bit more Viking inspired and Norse mythology sort of inspired. And, and that's, I, I, I definitely did not necessarily feel that way or wouldn't have necessarily felt that way without having read the comics first, because I feel like no. some of the comics and some of that ended up being in the comics. And, and I think it actually uh, went over into the movie quite well. Yeah. Once you've read the comics, you know that, Thor is not actually a superhero. And Thor's yeah. stories mostly are not superhero stories. They are like fantasy mythology 
that happens to cross over into a superhero universe every once in a while. And so right. the fact that the movies also really dig into that is is something that can can really enrich them. But I didn't like, for the most part, the the curseds. I didn't like the a lot of the the scenes that were on like Svartalheim or Svartalfheim or whatever, because it just seemed like they were a little muddy. They weren't all that well developed. Even the initial sort of battle scenes when you just look at them they almost look like yeah somebody had watched peter jackson's lord of the rings movies <laughs> and saw yeah. the big battles at the at the start and then just sort of said let's copy that you know yeah. and, and, and 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 to your point that opening prologue scene was was supposed it, they call it a blend of live action and cgi there are three characters that are actually uh, live-action characters. It was Malaketh, it was Curse, and it was Boar, the the you know the Odin's father and the head of the Asgard uh, uh, contingent. Everything else, all the Asgardians, all the Dark Elves, the the costumes that they would have had to that they had were too constrictive to fight effectively and convincingly, and so that it was all CGI. All, all the actual fighting was, was CGI. And I think you can see that a little bit, because even though it's good at this stage, it was still a little bit just staged looking and, and didn't have the energy it would have if it had been practical. So I didn't mind the effects in this, but I did find, you know, for all the, for all the trouble that Thor 4 gets into, it looks mm-hmm. like Thor, Thor 2 had similar problems. Where its effects were were sort of substandard to what you you'd kind of wanted or what they needed, especially since they obviously decided in this one to have a lot of CGI because there were a lot of sets that looked like they were probably just people on sound stages with a green screen behind them and then they filled in the uh, the backgrounds afterwards. So, yeah. all right, so. If there's, if there's any good thing to come out of this, it is that because we've gone in and looked at this, Dwayne has now got us all sorts of interesting additional little tidbits of information to, to learn more about there, learn more about it. So bring no, it on, there, Dwayne. There, there's there's actually not that much. We've we we've hit most of this. The I will say the stone creature Thor fights is a Kornon who is uh, at the beginning of the film. Uh, he basically just uh, uses Milner and basically destroys him in one hit. Uh, that is uh, an alien that appeared in the very first Thor comic journey into mystery number 83, which we, which we read um, uh, a few weeks back uh, when we, when we saw the very first appearance of Thor with the first movie. Um we did have an, uh, an actor replacement in here. Josh Dallas did not reprise his role as Fandral because he was uh, had some commitments with a with a TV show he was filming. So Zachary Levi is the one who plays Fandral in this. And if the name Zachary Levi re- is recognizable, you might that might be because you remember him uh, from uh, going on to be a pretty big part of the DCU in the in the movie Shazam. So that is, I, I didn't notice it at first, 
but but mm-hmm. my my wife Casey, she's like that. You know who that looks like? And then she went to IMDb, and sure enough, yeah, it was it was Zachary yep. Levi. So that was he it. was really was disappointed. He was really disappointed when the character didn't get more screen time in later movies, because this was kind of what he thought he'd he'd made his way into the superhero universe because he was going to be a warrior three in the marvel universe right and now we don't want to spoil things for people but i guess <laughs> he's been dead for a while so the, it didn't last so terribly long for him in the no. marvel universe and they get to skip to dc so also do you remember from chuck did you watch chuck yeah chuck i loved the show chuck actually that Absolutely was a fantastic yeah that was a fantastic oh. show um great stuff and the uh, language, the, the Dark Elf language that you see Malekith and Curse and uh, use throughout this was actually a new language that was created specifically for the Dark Elves. And, and the, the actors actually had to memorize some of their dialogue in this alien script uh, for, for, for some of the scenes that they shot. So that's, that's weird. <laughs> It's always right, weird when they bring up when they bring it, you know, when they come up with new languages and stuff. Um, yep. don't, don't think it's like full on Klingon or anything like now, but uh, but they did have to have to come up with some some some, some mm-hmm. alien dialogue for for this film. So so those go. were. Otherwise, I think I think we've hit on on all all the big stuff that I that are the the other interesting tidbits. Uh, throughout uh the movie that wanted to jump out that that i wanted to i do have one more oh i got one more coming off of your note actually the stone creature the that he fights the cronin that is actually korg's race as well yes it is so if you remember korg moving forward that's actually kind of how korg ends up coming into this is that the cronins are actually a part of the whole thor thing um going back quite a ways so Yes, I, I did. I, I did re- remember that, and I, I should have mentioned that. Let's let's briefly talk about the mid credit scene here before we before we wrap things up because I thought I, I liked and, and did not remember this mid credit scene very well. We had Lady Sif and Volstag from the Warriors Three bringing the the ether uh, to the collector for safekeeping, saying that it would be too dangerous to have on Asgard as they are currently uh, holding the Tesseract. Um, and the Collector definitely knows what it is he is getting and seems very excited about getting it. In fact, going so far as to say, one down, five to go. Uh, yes. Because he's a Collector. You can't just have one. You want to have no. a set, right? So. Right, right, right. Yeah. He'd have been better off sending them someplace else, just as a note. But uh, yes, yeah, the the collector's sort of like little area there is also something that was always fun for just uh, Easter egg hunting back when we were first looking at this, because that's where I got our our first sign of Howard the Duck and a bunch of other folks and everything mm-hmm. else. Uh, Comet was first sighted there, I think the the Astro Dog from uh, from the Guardians Holiday Special. I think he was actually in the collector's Cos- Cos- Cosmo or Cosmo Cosmo. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so we're that was that mid credit scene was directed actually by James Gunn, uh, completely separate from 
from the main movie. Apparently there was a little uh, back and forth between Alan Taylor and James Gunn about this, where, where Taylor was, was very much, uh, I had nothing to do with that. And, and they, they apparently, uh, he eventually apologized for, for, you know, that whole thing. Um, but it, it's, it's a lead in to the, the guardians of the galaxy movie that we end up seeing in mm-hmm. 2014. So it's, I, I did yep. not remember that, or I didn't know that didn't, I didn't remember it cause I hadn't seen the film, I guess, before this time, <laughs> now that I think about it. Uh, but yeah, it, and, and the ether then that's the reality stone, right? That that's yep. the second, that's what that becomes stones, now, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of the the little switcheroo that they do at the end is that after being this liquid for all that time, they put it into this, and then it somehow coagulates into the reality stone after all this has occurred. And so, yeah, yep. yeah, because it's in this like box, and and the box is mm-hmm. glowing red, so you know the ether's in there and all that yep. sort of thing. So. So that so that's uh, a nice little hint as to what was to come, um, and because uh, it was Belicio del Toro as as the collector, if I if I remember correctly. Yes, well, so. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we also, of course, have the after after scene where Thor returns back down, and uh, you know she runs out. Jane runs out to uh, to find him, and they have a kiss and. The, the very traditional Hollywood happy ending that, yeah. uh, that, that we close on. So, yeah. Just. Yes. So, in any case, that uh, that's that. So, anything else you wanted to talk about about this early early 21st century masterpiece of Hollywood <laughs> filmmaking? Or no, can we move I, on to it's... the face-off? Just, just to I guess wrap this up. This is this is not the worst movie. I mean, Eternals is still infinitely worse than this oh, movie. Yeah. But as a sequel to what I think was actually a very good first Thor movie, I can see why people were so upset. I would actually say it's a bad movie. It's it's a pretty yeah. decent piece of entertainment. Yeah. But when you think about it in terms of, you know, the very basic skills of filmmaking, outside of the, the actors who are pretty spectacular and, like I said, do what they can with it, this just needed a lot more time in development and a lot more time figuring out what the plot is and what the point is and everything else. And I don't know that they really got around to that. So I I actually enjoyed it. But it's one of those, I enjoyed it, but I can recognize that it was not a good movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it, like our friend, our friend Colin hosts fr- like Friday night bad movie nights, and they're specifically terrible movies that are nonetheless quite enjoyable, right? <laughs> but you yes. just take them for what they are, right? And this is this, this is a not great movie. This this is it's not fun. a movie I'm going to probably watch again, unless yeah. I absolutely have to. I just don't think that there are so many others uh, in the MCU catalog that I could definitely go towards that I think I would enjoy far more than this. So yeah, this is this this will not get rewatched again anytime soon. 
I will note that I enjoy Thor enough and I enjoy the Thor universe enough. If I was sitting around and, you know, this was what was on television, I would probably watch it again. But the problem is these days that doesn't get you very far because in a world of unlimited entertainment choices, there's always going to be something better than this to watch. Yeah. Right? So there we go. All right, here we go. It's the face-off. We're going to talk about this a little bit. Last week was exciting for me because, or a couple weeks ago, because the comics actually won the face-off for the first time in a long while. Unanimously won. I tried to stack the deck again last week by bringing you a, what I think is a pretty good set of books yes. in Thor, God of Thunder, number 12 through 17 from 2013. Where we got to see, how was the storyline called? The Accursed, where we got to see Malekith come back and cause some trouble. And then we also uh, read a, um, what was it called? War? War? War of the Realms. Yeah, War of the Realms, which we're not going to count that one here because we just picked yeah. one. So the one that looks like you picked as our face-off one is is God of Thunder 12 to 17, Malekith versus Malekith. Which one? Which one did you enjoy more? So I, I did not include War of the Realms because that felt like very Avengers-esque because we had so many, like all the Avengers, we had all the other, like everybody was contributing and helping out, unlike uh, Thor sure. having to do this solo with, with, with you know, I guess Jane the, and, and the intern and the intern and that sort of thing. So uh, the books were great. I, I really like the Malekith villain character. Uh, I yep. think he is one of the kind of scariest sort of characters that we've seen uh, in, across kind of all the different uh, characters that we've we've read. And um, yeah, those those books were really well done. This movie did not feel nearly as well done, and so. Thor, God of Thunder, 12 to 17, wins the day for me this week. Huzzah! Two in a row. Well, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not going to mess this up for the comics in any way. I, I think one of the things that you said that really stands out is when you when you look at the fact that they're both about Malekith. The Malekith in the comics, I think I described last week, as if you think of DC's Joker only with high-end magical powers and a power base behind him. So a guy who is completely crazy, but crazy with a plan and just unbelievably ruthless. That's the Malekith that Thor was facing in the comic books. And it was terrifying at times to see just yeah. what he was willing to do, how ruthless he was, and how sort of determined to his plan and how, and how sly he was. That yeah. at the end, it turns out he really had just been working Thor essentially as a pawn in his plan to get back power. And he wins, right? Yeah. Um, and the Thor in the movie, or the, the Malekith in the movie, that you don't get really any of that sort of of range of development on. And, and similarly with Thor, while I think that, you know, the Thor in the movie is a really interesting Thor. I like this Thor. The complexity of the Thor character in those Aaron books 
still is far better. So I'm, I'm also 100% on that if you had to choose just one of these to put in the time capsule, you would definitely take the Jason Aaron comic books rather than the Dark World movie. So Yes, definitely agree with that. All right, All right. Let's, let's move on to some correspondence. I actually got a recommendation via Twitter from my, my good friend Forrest. He uh, sent along a link to DC The New Frontier, which is available uh, in paperback, or you can get a really good deal on the Kindle and Comixology version, which is the version that mm-hmm. I picked up. Uh, for the cr- price of a regular comic book, $3.99, uh, on Amazon, you can you can get this uh, like 450 page book. Uh, I was not familiar with this. I I looked at it a little bit. Uh, there is Darwin Cook's acclaimed epic novel is back in a new title, collecting a six issue miniseries plus Justice League: The New Frontier special. Uh, I I did not know what I was getting myself into. Uh, there is. You've got Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman on the cover. I, I've gone through about the first 30 or so pages of this, and mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting. And I haven't even stumbled into any superheroes yet. <laughs> you, Dan, yeah, this... you, you, you've, you were familiar with this. Oh, I adore this. I mean, I, I, have, a, uh, I have a Darwin Cook lithograph hanging over my over my desk actually he's one of my favorite all-time artists he's just a fantastic cartoonist but this book won all the awards it won harvey eisner all that sort of stuff and what it really is is sort of this rethinking of or retelling of the early silver age of dc heroes kind of essentially during that that age where you know america's worried about nuclear war and you've got the cold war and you've got all of these movies that are coming out with the irradiated monsters and whatever and then you've got these heroes kind of coming onto the scene like flash and and green lantern and and all the rest and it's just a fantastic sort of distillation of what makes a lot of these characters great in this big over over uh, arching storyline so I love I love the characterizations of a lot of them. Wonder Woman is fantastic in it. Might be one of my favorite because he makes her about seven feet tall. She like dwarfs Superman and just sort of looks <laughs> down on him. And nice. and she's got you know a very different way of looking at the world uh, than than some of the other characters do. But yeah, he's he's done just a fantastic job with all the heroes. Big story, lots of fun. Yeah, great recommendation. Yeah. I, so, I, I hope you I'm looking. It. I am looking forward to getting into it a little bit more. But thank you, Forrest, for for the recommendation. And it is as of recording, as of this time of recording, it is still on sale for three ninety nine uh, for the ebook version on the on your Kindle or Comixology app. So that sounds like something you'd be interested in. Check that out, Dan. Where are we going next? All right, so I think what we're going to do next is, first off, take a week off for the Christmas holiday. So we're going to give uh, ourselves a a week off from recording because I'm going to be out with the family and the like and give all of you a week off so that uh, we will be back starting off uh, 
I suppose probably not till 2023 at that point until it yes. actually hits into people's uh, podcast player. But when we return, we're going to go back through some of the comic book history uh, of the characters that are featured in Captain America The Winter Soldier, which is the next Marvel movie uh, in Phase 2, came out in 2014. Books we're reading are going to shed a little bit of light on two characters from that who I think are very interesting, hoping to give Dwayne a little bit more perspective on as well as the rest of you before we head into talking about that movie. Characters are going to be the Falcon, which is um, sort of the, the sidekick of Captain America for the better part of the late 60s and 70s, and then recently now in the MCU, he has actually been promoted to be Captain America. So we're going to see uh, quite a lot of that character coming in. See a little how Sam Wilson got his start. And then we're going to look at Bucky Barnes and how he returned from the dead after 60 years. Wait, uh, Bucky's not dead? Isn't that shocking? <laughs> who, who knew? S spoiler alert and all that. So, um, and returns are, as the Winter Soldier. So. Yes. so what are the books that we're reading? got two to talk about with the falcon captain america number 117 by lee and colon and number 170 by engelhart and robbins the first one actually introduces you to the falcon the second one is where he gets his wings because we started out he couldn't fly uh there's going to be a special guest star helps him figure out and get his wings uh and then we're going to roll into captain america volume 5 from 2004 read the first 14 issues of that which are absolutely fantastic comic books so looking forward to these i think you're going to enjoy them i would say it's going to be another shot for a uh, a solid win for the comics but i also know the movie that we're facing off against so i'm not going to be nearly as uh as cocky as i was this last week because so uh, Winter Soldier is a heck of a good movie. So, anyway, that's what we've got for you, sir. All right, that sounds great. I want to uh, say happy holidays to all of our listeners. Thank you for uh, being with us. And that is going to wrap us up for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you've been listening for a while, we'd appreciate you telling a friend about the show or leaving us a review. It'll help others find the show. If you have some thoughts on Thor The Dark World or anything else comic book related, we'd love to hear them. You can interact with us on social media via Twitter. We are at Comics Over Time. We're also on Hive Social at the same, at Comics Over Time. We can also be reached via email, and that address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Dan? It's now been almost a, it's been a fun year reading comic books, watching movies and TV shows, and then getting to talk with you and the listeners about them. And I am very much looking forward to continuing that in 2023. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been quite a few episodes because it's 25 with this one. And I think we finished up with 37 or 38, something like that back on uh, phases. So yeah, absolutely. Been a great year. Looking forward to starting up again in 2023 and reading more cool stuff and seeing more cool movies. So have a great one, everyone. Until next year, everybody. Take care. <laughs>